Hey, good morning, everyone. We're glad that you're with us today. Are there any dog lovers out there? Uh, recently, we added a member to our family, and, eight, and he's eight months old now. He's a Yorkie Bichon little puppy, and we're trying to train him. And he does pretty good with sit and do you want a treat. But the one thing that we're trying to teach him is come, and uh, he's not too good at that. In fact, uh, this week, uh, on a morning walk with him, I took him off the leash right before we got to the house. And as soon as I took him off the leash, uh, there was a squirrel that he saw, and he bolted after the squirrel as fast as he could run. And I tried to say, I did say his name, uh, Bo, uh, st stop. Uh, and then he just kept on running across the street and then into a neighbor's yard. And I ran after him as, you know, as fast as I could. And so when I get up to him, he runs away from me. And uh, he's not listening to me. I, and he's, uh, he's uh, just finally, I corner him in the back of a fence of a yard. And I pick him up and I bring him back home. Now, Bo is only 11 pounds, and he's a little puppy dog. And he doesn't understand that when he crosses that street, it could be the last time he's ever running after a squirrel. But running away from me is a little bit different than us running away from God. And today I want to talk to you about the runaway syndrome of Jonah. You see, when we run away from God, we can be in a very dangerous situation in our lives, like Jonah finds himself in. Who is Jonah? Well, we find him in the Old Testament. He's one of the prophets of God in the nation of Israel. And to give you a little background, Jonah was uh, a prophet of the northern kingdom, and so there was two kingdoms. They were divided. The nation of Israel was divided. And uh, the kingdoms to the north were called Israel. The kingdoms to the south were called Judah. And Jonah was a prophet in the kingdom of Israel. And he had prophesied that there was going to be a time when King Jeroboam was going to extend and secure the borders of Israel against its enemies. And just as Jonah had prophesied, it came true. And that's taken in 2 Kings chapter 14. You could read about it later on. But what happened was that God gave Jonah his next assignment. And when we look at it, it's uh, not a pleasant one to Jonah. In fact, he doesn't like it at all. It's to go to the great city of Nineveh. And so we're going to look into God's word right now in chapter 1 of Jonah. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And here we see Jonah getting this assignment from God to go to the great city of Nineveh because they are in desperate need of a message from God, that they need to repent of their sin and turn to the Lord. And Jonah refuses to go. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. They're actually the enemies of God. Their empire is growing stronger and stronger. And Jonah fears someday they will come down and attack Israel. 
So Jonah has, wants nothing to do with this. In fact, he runs away. He, in fact, in, instead of going north towards Nineveh, Jonah heads south to Joppa, to a seaport off the Mediterranean Sea. He pays a fare, he gets on a ship, and then he uh, plans to go to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles away on a Phoenician trade route, almost to the country of Spain, what would be modern Spain today. And so Jonah is in rebellion to God. He's running away from God. What is Jonah thinking here? Well, he's thinking that probably the Ninevites don't deserve a message from him, a prophet. And this is exactly what God wants to do. He wants to, he loves all people from all nations, and he wants his prophet Jonah to have the same compassion that he has for people. So then we pick it up, and, and Jonah is on this trip, and then the Lord sent a great and mighty wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, the Hebrew word for God sending a storm is actually the word hurl or throw, like a, like a uh, soldier throws a javelin. And what God had done was sent this storm to wake Jonah up, to, to uh, speak to Jonah. You know, in our rebellion towards God, when we are running away from God, many times God will send a storm into our life. And we're all experiencing something like that today. We're all experiencing a pandemic, which is similar to a storm, but it's worldwide. It's, I believe God giving us a wake-up call, and I've often said this, that God often gives a wake-up call to his people when they're going through struggles and difficulties. And this is what God is doing today. And he was doing it to Jonah, but he sent a specific storm while Jonah is running away. Sometimes the storm is used to wake us up and turn us around. For Jonah, he just wasn't listening. You know, sometimes God sends a storm to do that, but other times, in the assignment that we have from God, just going through life, we're all going to face storms of life, and these aren't necessarily uh, meant to uh, uh, hinder us or stop us from going a certain way. In fact, they may be the process that God leads us into as we're following His assignment for our lives. And you know, this is what happened. I was just reading that this week uh, about uh, the Apostle Peter and how Jesus was walking on water in the midst of a storm, and then Peter saw Jesus, and he said, can I walk out on the water? And Jesus gave him permission to come and walk on the water, and when he saw the waves and the wind, he started to sink, and then Jesus grabbed him and brought him back to the boat. But what an amazing adventure, because Peter had Jesus with him. Now the problem with Jonah is, He's not wanting God with him. He's wanting to run away from God. And we know you can't run away from God. He's everywhere. He's omniscient and omnipresent. And there's no way that we could ever run away from him. But there's times in our hearts when we shut down and we don't want to listen to God and we want to do what we want to do despite what it may be even contrary to what God is saying to us. And so... This is what happens to Jonah. What is Jonah doing as the sailors are afraid and they cry out to God? 
it says that the, that storm came up and the sailors were crying out to their God and they throw the cargo overboard. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep and the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we'll not perish. Jonas was, Jonah was sleeping through the storm. He was determined to run away from God and to ignore the plight of everybody else. You know, at times when we're running from God, when we're doing what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do, when we're sinning, uh, we create a storm and it affects other people. This actually affected the whole ship, all the sailors, and even the captain. And the captain is asking Jonah to call on his God, maybe, maybe he'll notice us. Now, the captain didn't have much faith. He had no assurance that God was going to work. And, and so he, but he's desperate. And so he calls on Jonah to help him. Sometimes we're in the midst of the storm because somebody else close to us has made some poor decisions and they're affecting us. Now for Jonah being on that same ship with the, all those sailors, that storm was affecting everyone. So what does Jonah do? What do, what do the sailors do? What does this captain do? They continue to call out to God. Verse 7 through 9 says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And a casting of lots was just drawing straws. You know, the short straw was the person that won uh, the lot or the lottery. And so what happens is they cast lots. The lot falls, falls on Jonah. So they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? They ask him five questions. That's the first one. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's interesting to note that Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, is, writes a book about the story of Jonah. And in it, he says, Jonah answers the last question they ask first. He doesn't readily admit that the God of all is causing this storm. In fact, what he says is, he's a Hebrew. And this is what Keller says. If his race was more fund foundational to his image than his faith, it begins to explain why Jonah was so opposed to calling Nineveh to repentance. The prospect of calling people of other nations to faith in God would not be appealing under any circumstances to someone with this spiritual, shallow identity. And so Jonah is finding his identity in the nation of his birth. He's a Hebrew. That's what he is first. When we think about self-identity, what do you think about, about uh, who you are and who your identity is? For Jonah, he said, I'm a Hebrew. For us, we may say, I'm American, or I'm uh, Chinese American, or I'm Asian American, or, or whatever we may be. But then sometimes we, when we're in a crowd, we'll say, uh, I'm a Yankee fan, or I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. And we use labels to identify who we are. We, 
but we seldom say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's really what we are if we're not running away from God. We're followers after God. We're the disciples that are learning to understand who God is and obey his will. So the sailors seem to have more respect for God and his ability to intervene than even Jonah does. So they ask him these questions, and then Jonah finally responds, and they're, they're just terrified. And uh, in verse 10 it says, they terrify them and ask, what have you done? And the sea was getting rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. They understand that God was after Jonah to obey him. And so they understand that this storm has come because of Jonah, because this man belongs to God, and God is wanting him to follow after him. And Jonah begins to wake up and realize this. And then in desperation, he says, the only thing you can do is kill me. See, Jonah doesn't even have in his mind that he wants to obey God, yet still, after all this has been going on. And that's the difficult thing about resisting God's will, disobeying Him. Our hearts become callous, our spiritual eyes become dim, almost blind, and we end up not seeing things for the reality that they are. But sometimes God sends us people, or He'll send us a message to quicken our hearts, to open up our eyes, to get us to think in a different way that what we're doing is compromising our walk with God or actually in willful disobedience to God, and He's calling us to follow Him. And see, the, the sailors, these guys that were calling on different gods, anybody that they knew, but they didn't know the Hebrew God, they, they were calling on anybody, and they weren't being helped. And it's an amazing thing that uh, these sailors come to faith in the God of Israel. Listen, look what happens in verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord have done as you please. They're, they're crying out to God. They're fearful and they're prayerfully praying, if we do this, Lord, don't hold us, hold it against us. But then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Wow, what a miracle that must have been. A terrific, ferocious storm that's only getting worse and worse and worse and then all of a sudden the sea grows calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, it says, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, what they did was Jonah called himself a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. As that's what it says in verse uh, 9. It says that he was a worshiper of God. But the problem was he may have gone to temple to worship. He may have been used once in a while by God, 
But he wasn't a follower. He was not obedient to God. And so he might have been worshiping, but he wasn't following. And God calls us to a deeper faith. He calls us to follow him. And the amazing thing is that the sailors, after the storm calms down, they make vows to God that they want to follow him, that they want to worship him. So God can use an amazing way, can even use the storms of our life to draw us closer to him. And I know that you know that, and you've probably even experienced it. The other amazing thing in this story is that God, in his sovereignty, lets Jonah sink down to the bottom of the sea and then sends a fish to capture him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you say, whoa, Al, this is the part of the story I just can't believe. Really? Is this really the part of the story you can't believe of a God who created the entire universe couldn't have assigned a huge fish to come at that particular time and swallow Jonah? Jonah is somebody who starts out trying to run from God in a ship and then is in a storm and then is down in the sea not catching fish, but being caught by a fish. And it's amazing that God does this because he loves Jonah and because he loves the people of Nineveh. And he loves the sailors and the captain on that ship. God's compassion is seen here. Not so much his anger, but his compassion. In Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 40, Jesus references the story of Jonah as a fact that actually happened. So if you believe what Jesus says, you have to believe the story of Jonah. And this is what it says. One day some teachers of religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Do something that proves that you are who you say you are. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. You see what had happened here. Jesus had been doing his ministry publicly, healing people turning water into wine, casting out demons, even raising people from the dead. And still people would not believe in him, especially the religious leaders. And so uh, Jesus references Jonah's miraculous um, deliverance from the, ocean, the bottom of the ocean through being caught by this fish. And Jesus says... In the same way that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, I will be crucified, killed, buried for three days, and then will rise again and be resurrected. And Jesus is referencing his greatest miracle, which is his death and his resurrection. And he's referencing that because that is the miracle that we have in our lives to give us the ability to approach God, not to run away from Him, but to come to Him when He calls us, to surrender to Him 
as He leads us, to be empowered by Him when He has an assignment for us to do that seems overwhelming, but He promises to be with us and to stay with us and to carry us through to the end of it. You know, the book of Jonah is a fascinating book. It's only about 47 verses. It's very short, four, four short chapters. But it's often said that the book of Jonah is like a mirror. Because we read this story about a man who's running away from God. But it really can be a mirror into our own lives. Because oftentimes we have blind spots. We're not even recognizing where we may have run away from God. Now Jonah was premeditatedly running away. But there were times in that trip and during that storm that he was trying to deny the reality of that. And there's times in our life when we do that, when we deny the reality. I remember one time I was going in to buy a new suit and my wife was joking with me. She said, Al, she had just cut my hair and she says, you know, Al, your bald spot is getting bigger and bigger. I was only in my late 20s when that was. And so being a young man uh, and always looking in the front of the mirror, I didn't see how, my bald spot. But then when I tried on this suit, and you know they have the mirrors that go sideways and behind you. When I walked into that mirrored room, I wasn't looking at my suit. I was looking at this shiny spot on the back of my head. It was my bald spot. I could actually see it, finally see it. And I had to recognize and admit to my wife, yeah, it's going, and it's going fast. But you know what? God's word is a mirror to us. It says that God's word, his truth, is something that can speak to into our lives and give us a picture of what we really are. But then it says, just don't walk away from that and don't change anything, but look intently into it so that you can find the freedom that God wants you to experience in following him and running after him not running away from him. You know, there was five questions that Jonah was asked by the sailors, and I want to ask us to think about five questions today as we end today. Number one, the first question is, am I running from God and his will for my life? Is there areas in my life where I am pushing God back and saying, God, you can't go there? I want to do what I want to do. And it may have to do in the area of uh, your career, what God is calling you to do. It may be in your family and relationships. It may have to do with sexual purity. It may have to do with finances. You see, God is a God of our entire lives. He wants every area of our life to be under his lordship and control. And then he tells us how to make the tough decisions in life based on what his word says. Even though it may be difficult, we can accomplish what God has called us to do. So am I running from God and his will for my life is number one. Number two is, am I hearing God speak in the midst of the storms of my life? So we're all going through a storm. What is God speaking to you? Have you gotten into his word? Have you thought about what he may be saying to you. Have you been in prayer for yourself and others? What is he saying in the midst of the storms of your life? And it may be we're all going through different storms. It may be something 
particularly that you're going to have to go through to accomplish God's will for your life. Or the storm may be there because you've made some decisions that are just wrong and you're heading to Tarshish instead to Nineveh where God has told you to go. And God is telling you to turn around. Could that be what he's saying? Number three is there's someone or something that has disappointed or hurt me. And because of that past offense, I'm holding it against God or other people. You see, when we are offended by others, when we're sinned against by others, sometimes it scars us and it hurts us and it keeps us from... uh, than pursuing after what God is telling us to do because we fear we might be hurt again. And is God saying, look it, I have something for you. Follow me. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Take that faith-filled risk. Come out on the water with me in the storm. I'll lead you and guide you. Number four, am I willing to repent of my sin, turn to God and obey him? See, Jonah was was invited to repent of his sin, turn away from it, and then follow God on the journey that he had for him that was really the heart of God. God was asking him, join me, Jonah. Don't run away from me. Don't fight me. And then the last question is about our identity. Is our identity found in Jesus Christ or in something else? Are you basing your worth on something other than the love of God and his forgiveness in your life? Let that be the foundation of your life. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be the foundation of your life. And from there, pursue after what God is calling you to do. You know, these questions are just questions for us to examine ourselves. We're going to be having communion in a little while. But they're questions that we could ask ourselves before we partake of communion. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to look into the mirror in His Word, to make the adjustments that we need to make, to call out to Him and say, God, I want to follow you. In fact, I want to come to you, Lord. I want to surrender to you. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to sing, Run to the Father. And I love the words of this song. When he cries out and he says, My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again. You know, God just doesn't want us to come one time in our lives to him in a crisis. He wants to build a relationship with us. He wants to be our loving Heavenly Father. We have that relationship with him. So I invite you to do that. Don't get in a runaway syndrome. Break that and be one that runs after the Father again and again and again. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask today that, Lord, you would speak into our lives. If there's any way, if there's anything that is causing us to turn away from you and your will, would you reveal that to us? And, Lord, would you cause us to have the courage to come to you in humility, in faith, and in trust 
that you love us, that you forgive us, and you'll give us the power to resist temptation, that you'll give us the power to fulfill your will. We ask this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.